Now, for those who are alert and astute, Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, you know that this is the uh, exact same message that we had on the board last week. But uh, as you maybe also know, I basically had to finish up last week's message and spent the whole time doing that. And um, it is possible when I want to be verbose, I can be, but I try, try, not, try not to be verbose, but to be, you know, as nice and pointed as I can. But we had a lot to discuss. So anyway, we want to finish up, well, actually not finish up, we want to actually deal with chapter 12 today. Since we read the first part last week, though, that's where the, uh, we, the King Rehoboam had uh, two sets of counselors, the older, wiser, the younger, not so wise in that particular case, counselors, and he followed the wrong ones, and we read about that, and of course what happened with the, uh, that, that didn't go well. And so we, let's read the uh, aftermath of that, beginning in verse, uh, let's see if I wonder, I don't Let's just start in verse 25 of chapter 12. Let's stand as we read. And uh, we'll, this is what we're going to focus on mostly today anyway. In verse 25 of 1 Kings 12, it says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and he built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin for the people, for, excuse me, became a sin for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among the, all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. And he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month. In the month that he had devised from his own heart, he instituted a feast for the people of Israel. And he went up to the altar to make offerings. You may be seated. All right, let's just uh, take a quick review of what we dealt with last week. We saw being loved, and then this is in relationship to Solomon, who, uh, remember that, uh, we dealt with, um, his apostasy, where we should say, you know, his idolatry, and, and what that, how that ended up contributing to the, uh, division of the kingdom, and, and so forth. And we made the point that being loved in the beloved, that is Jesus, doesn't mean that we cannot anger God. We cannot feel his chastening rod and remove ourselves from experiencing his love. Christians have a duty to keep themselves, as we saw in Jude, uh, keep yourselves in the uh, love of the Lord to uh, follow hard after him because sin is ever present. And and when we sin, God, will, because he loves us, will chasten us. And, and that fellowship, though, can be broken. And, and Christians can do uh, bad things. Uh, Christians can grow cold, and, and these, this is just part of 
what we have to deal with. And we, uh, and it's good for us to remind ourselves of that so that we, uh, keep testing ourselves. We keep pushing forward. We understand that we have a duty. Yes, the Lord will keep those whom he loves to the very end, but he does that through us clinging to him and not just by presuming and, and saying, oh, well, I can't lose my salvation. So it really doesn't matter. Uh, and we refer to Jude chapter uh, 120. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Uh, we, uh, must, we also saw that we must never let the intrigue of the Old Testament and its moral lessons overshadow the main point. I think we'll deal a little bit again with this uh, this week. Uh, the redemptive plan of God in sending the sons of the cross is the biblical narrative. That's what it's about. And so while there are moral lessons, for instance, in the Old Testament, there are many things to see, to learn. It's about Christ. It's about the Lord uh, dealing with the fall, dealing with man's sin. And the whole, re- you know, the, the earth was created to ultimately redeem sinners through Jesus Christ. That's the point. And we never want to get too far away from that and, and, uh, and maybe emphasize things that shouldn't be emphasized over this. And then we saw that the Lord is always, and really part and parcel with this, the Lord is always in control, working out his eternal decrees uh, behind everything. That, that is, shouldn't be there. Working out his eternal decrees, yeah. The Lord is behind everything, so excuse that typo. This means that human history is moving to his desired end, and we can take comfort in that. And that is something that, at the end of the message today, assuming I get there, we will point out again that with all this going on today, a Christian must keep himself focused, knowing that all this is according to the eternal counsels of God. We are going to be in heaven someday. We will be answering to the Lord. Everyone will be answering to the Lord, no matter what's going on around us. And we take comfort in that, and we have peace uh, because of that. that. That's what gives the Christian the ability to uh, serve and to serve faithfully in the face of any kind of affliction, danger, whatever it might be. And so, uh, we reminded ourselves what happened uh, last week then, what we read last week in the first part of this chapter, where Rehoboam listens to the uh, bad counselors and ends up losing the northern tribes. Um, the first thing we notice is the confrontation of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, where uh, he, they come and they say, you know, you're, you're, Solomon uh, worked us to death. They kind of complained about his heavy hand upon them, and we need some relief. And there's a question about whether that was legitimate or not, whether they were just complaining, they were looking for problems. Uh, I could go either way on it, I guess, uh, because the problem is over in uh we saw in First Kings chapter 4, remember, under the zenith of Solomon's reign that Judah and Israel lived in safety, which was a huge blessing back in those days, well, at any time in history, but certainly back then, just to be safe from your enemies was a huge blessing, right? From Dan to Beersheba, that is the whole north and south shared this blessing. Every man under his vine and under his fig trees all the days of Solomon. So to come to his son and say, look, we just had a miserable time under your father. We want life to be better. 
in those days, life couldn't be any better than they experienced. So many think that it was a ruse in a sense to break away because, again, as we'll see here with Jeroboam and, and the rest of northern Israel, they were idolaters to, already to some degree. They weren't followers of Yahweh. Remember, you know, in Elijah's day where the Lord says, I have kept 7,000 out of, you know, hundreds of thousands. I have kept 7,000 who have not given their heart to Baal. So it, it very well could just be a, a way to complain. <clears throat> and uh, But either way, we're not told for sure. What we do see is that Rehoboam not being a very wise leader, uh, instead of giving them a favorable answer and saying, look, uh, let's work together. Let, let's just make sure that we can do what we can. Uh, he kind of doubles down, and uh, that is the last straw. And so um, what we see here then in, in this first part of chapter 12, it's not that it's teaching us that it's a sin to listen to younger people or anything like that, uh, but there's an obvious. it's obvious that Rehoboam isn't concerned with the best advice, but advice that caters to his own heart. We saw this with Ahithophel, remember, and against Hushai. Uh, Hushai got absolutely to make bad decisions by giving him advice that he knew would speak to his pride, and Absalom falls for it, and here uh, Rehoboam falls for it. And so it's a point to be remembered that when when people tell you what you want to hear, they're not your friend. Uh, you know, if they give you bad advice, and it's not, uh, but it's what kind of stokes your ego. They're not being your friend, and that's what we, of course, we love about the Word of God. The Word of God tells us the truth, and it doesn't it doesn't elevate us. It elevates the Lord. It exposes our sin, and it's what we need to hear. And so, um, in this, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, we'll see, are the same. They both are about themselves. And this was very clear, I think, with what we just read with Jeroboam. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So, a great nation that has done so much for the Lord, has been so blessed by the Lord, is about to be split over selfishness and pride with no regard for the people of God and for the purposes of God. So, what we see in this chapter is just, we don't see anybody calling upon the Lord. Lord, what should I do? Rehoboam doesn't go to the Lord. He goes to his counselors. Uh, Jeroboam certainly doesn't go to the Lord, even though the Lord has spoken specifically to both of them. Everybody's doing what? What do I want? Isn't it the, the call of our culture today? Whatever I want is is all that matters. And, and, and that's all. That, that has become our God. And, and so that's what we see here. When we think like that, and when a church thinks like that, when it's all about us making a name for ourselves, whatever, not making a name for Christ, even if that name for Christ the world hates, they don't want to hear about a holy God, they don't want to hear about a sovereign God. No, we are here to exalt the name of the Lord and let the chips fall where they may, because we're here to please Him, and we have to answer to Him, and uh, and so when we get full of ourselves and we make a uh, church all about what we want, we can assume we're going to go in the wrong direction. Solomon had made Israel the greatest nation on earth, and it immediately becomes one of the weakest when uh, the Lord is um, left out of things. 
And so a couple of things to think about, to remember, is that when the Lord takes his hand off of something, that's the end of it. None of us can get anything accomplished if the Lord isn't there. He's our strength. And when he, it's his will that it not happen anymore, that's the end of it. And of course, also with that, we know that when we don't keep ourselves in the Lord, when we grow cold in our affections, we can assume that we're going to suffer spiritually because of it. Because you cannot disregard the Lord and not uh, follow after him and expect to be blessed. Because, and the reason is because the Lord is the one who's doing his will. The Lord is the one who, what, whatever strength there is, it's his. Whatever resources are, they're his. And when they're removed, uh, then things will go south. <clears throat> and so, it says here, they cared nothing for the house of David. What have we to do with the house of David? Well, everything, because it's in the house of David that promises were given. That the Messiah was going to come. So, as soon as we say, what we don't have anything to do with Christ, well, that's the end of it. That's more or less what they were saying here. Because they all knew what the promises were to David and so forth. And they cared nothing about that. And so they cared nothing for the Lord's kingdom, just their own. And uh, so it's not a surprise to us why all these things took place. Kind of going back to the counselor thing that we were talking about here, we remember in Proverbs 1.5, it says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So we're seeing that being fulfilled. To hear an unwise man uh, sought unwise counsel and uh, he lost. Uh, one of the commentators pointed out this I thought was kind of interesting. They can imagine Solomon writing this when he wrote Ecclesiastes. And perhaps in his mind he's thinking about, you know, he's built this fantastic kingdom. And he's wondering what his son, the one who takes over from him, might do with it. And we read here, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. Why? Well, again, it's not that he hated it, but it, but it's, he understood that the the, the, the uh, futility of all this often. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. So he's wondering, maybe he knew Rehoboam was next in line at that point, and he's, he's maybe seen some things in Rehoboam that scares him a little bit. And he, He's wondering, what will happen, you know? Will he be wise and keep this thing going, or will he, you know, turn from the Lord and, and lose it all? And, of course, by the time Solomon died, the Lord had already told him what was going to happen. And so, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy there, perhaps. But anyway, another thing that we need to pick up on is that their complaint was about their physical situation. Remember, they, they're coming to him. Uh, we, we have been taxed to death. We've been overworked. Whatever the complaints were, this was the, the issue. Where was the complaint, though, of Solomon's idolatry? You know, Solomon went into idolatry. Were the people coming to him and saying, Oh, king, this is wrong, and, and please turn turn back to the Lord, lest you bring calamity upon the nation, because they, that was certainly a promise that God had made, a curse, if they did turn away to idols. But, but we don't read about any of that. 
But how it's affected me physically, well, that's all that matters. And, you know, how, how, you know, that's something I think we can really identify with. What do we complain about? You know, we, we, whether it be in our personal life, if we're not, if we're not healthy, if we don't have a, a full bank account, you know, all these things, then we're not happy, we're complaining. But do we, when we see coldness towards the Lord, does that stir our hearts too? Or do we ask God about that? And, you know, in the church, is coldness something that, that we complain about? Uh, is the word being preached? Do churches complain because the word's not being taught enough? And unfortunately, a lot of times it's, well, we don't like the color of the carpet. We don't have a praise band. You know, we don't have this. We don't have that. Um, you know, and, and, but, but who can, who, who complains? Who's worried about and, and stirred up when the word of God is not being proclaimed? Right? And so we just need to, I think that, that was just a, something I thought this is something we need to think about. What's the focus of our prayers and our desires? Is it over the important things? It is, Lord, is my heart a burning with love for you? Am I being conformed to your image? Is the church fulfilling its purpose in exalting Christ? Or is this all care about how much money we're making, how healthy we are, you know, and all these things that, you know, neither here nor there in a way. And it just reminds us of, of the, the draw this flesh has upon us. And then in verse 15, we're kind of forced to remember that this passage isn't mainly about the moral lessons. And I, I, I had more, made this point last week. That's why I put it on the board. But it says the king did not listen to the people for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word. So it was never the Lord's intention that the people would, that he would, uh, that, 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 uh, this, this, the, the, the nation wouldn't be split in two because he had already, uh, told Jeroboam that he was going to receive the northern kingdom, right? But of course he also told Jeroboam that if you want to keep it and be blessed, you've got to be faithful to me. And as we read, right, at the beginning of the the, uh, message, that's the one thing Jeroboam absolutely refuses to do. He, he, it's clear as day, the Lord gave him the kingdom because the Lord told him about it before he was, he did it. And then he turns to the Lord. And so, verse, as we said, verse 15 in one sense is the import, most important verse because it reminds us that all this is going on because of people's sin, but it was all part of God's overall plan that the, the nation be divided. And so, um, we, uh, we just want to again make the point that perhaps we made it last week that, uh, we, we, when we read the scripture, we don't get so involved in the detail that we forget the context, the point of where it's all going, the overall context. For example, when we read about the cross, some people have historically kind of ignoring the Bible as a whole. They see the cross and they say there, you know, and they see the life of Christ and, and all that he did while he was here. Well, he's, Christ is an example for us to follow. Well, yeah, he's certainly that, uh, as far as it goes. There are certainly many things that we, he has been an example to us to follow, but, 
Uh, the cross is not an example. Uh, to, it, it is not something Christ didn't come to give us an example to follow so that we might work our way to the Lord. The, the, the cross is a statement of grace that we can't work to the Lord. We know that precisely because Christ had to come and die. The Son of God came and died on the cross. So it's not a means that we can work our way to the Lord. It is, in fact, a statement that we can't work our way to the Lord. And yet people have read this and completely missed the point. And again, because you don't read it in the context of the entire Word of God. We might also relate this to the church in the greater kingdom of God and that it's possible for God to allow us by our sinfulness to disrupt and weaken the kingdom at times. But nothing's going to stop it. And that's a great comfort to us as we see things not going the way we would like often. And that's always been the case. It's not like we, we see it exponentially happening today in a lot of ways. But the world has always been the world. And the church has always been in the minority. And the church has always been uh, persecuted and always will be. And we all, you know, it's, it, it is, again, it seems to be especially so today, but it's very easy for one generation to forget about everything that's happened before them and read, interpret the Bible, for instance, entirely by what's going on with them today as if they're the only ones who have ever gone through anything. The book of Revelation has already explained what's going to happen in this uh, age, but the good news is that Christ is going to come back and fix it all, right? So, in verse 16, uh, we, we didn't read this section, but basically what it says, we'll just read verse 16, where it says, And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the king answered the king, What portion do we have in David? And this is really Jeroboam saying this through the people. We have no inheritance with Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. In other words, go. let's go home. Look to your own house, David. And so Israel went to their tents. And so how soon the people forget all that God has done and promised them through David. They are, in a sense, cutting themselves off from the blessings. And it's no surprise that eventually they are carried off into captivity. And they're referred to as the ten lost tribes of Israel for a reason. Because they're gone. Nobody, they're, they're, they're just gone. And that's what happens. And they're, and you see them saying that uh, here. And so, uh, This is what happens when anybody says, I have no inheritance with the son of Jesse. I have nothing to do with Jesus. This is your end. You will go off into oblivion. You will go off into, you will suffer the wrath of God forever. And so the, the, the fact of the matter is that he expressly rejects the house of Yahweh. And this is, so really what takes place in, the, in this next section down through verse uh, twenty. Uh, four or so, is Rehoboam sends the, the one who is in, in charge of forced labor up there, I guess, to, to, I don't know if he just ignores what they've said. He thinks that everything's gonna just be okay. They stone that guy. So Rehoboam get, gathers, uh, I think it went about 180,000 people here, warriors to go, and he's gonna try to bring them back, and then the Lord says to a prophet, let him go. This is of the Lord. Don't do it. Don't fight your brothers. And so Rehoboam doesn't. He listens to the Lord at that point. You know, And that's it. But then the part that we read, 
beginning of verse 25, is Jeroboam realizing, of course, now he's got a little bit of a problem because Israel was a theocracy. Israel was ruled by God, even though there was a king. Israel's constitution, as it were, was part and parcel with the temple and the religion, Judaism, as it were. Uh, it, you know, the covenant wasn't just about their uh, civil life. The covenant was about everything. It was their relationship with the Lord. So it's one thing to just split. Now you've got, what are you going to do? Because all the people, all the men, for instance, were required three times a year to go down to Jerusalem to make sacrifices. You've got priests who were uh, involved in all this. Uh, The daily life of the people, their very identity was all wrapped up in Jerusalem. Well, Jeroboam's not an idiot. He realized that's a problem, so he basically creates his own little religion to keep people from having to go uh, down to Jerusalem. And so uh, he rejects, uh, he's worried about his own position, and so he sets this religion up to secure himself because he knows that people keep going down there. It's it's gonna they're gonna realize that this isn't working. This this two kingdom thing doesn't work well under their their the current situation, the covenant that they've got. And so he's been given this kingdom by the Lord, and we might paraphrase that too. He's been given his life by the Lord, but the Lord doesn't seem to have any place in the decisions that he makes and we want to be careful because when we do that when we start living life and we're not really bringing the biblical principles that we know the the biblical worldview has nothing to do with the decisions we make the jobs that we take the, the people that we marry you know you name it the purchases that we make then uh we're that's idolatry the Lord gave you life. You, you, everything you do, you do is to glorify Him. And if you're going through life and you really don't pray about things, you don't you don't st- you don't know the Bible well enough to know the principles of God's Word, and, and, and it doesn't govern your life. How is that not idolatry? You, you've become your own god. <clears throat> and so, uh, in verse 26, we're kind of giving a look into his heart in, the, in his decision process. There where it says, you know, it says in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. Well, yes, but if it doesn't, you've got no part in the the, the coming Messiah. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't believe any of that anyway, of course. Calvin, John Calvin rightly said that man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. And I don't think I have to prove that to you, right? We all know we're prone to just let anything become what motivates us and, and to draw our attention and our worship and our love away from the Lord. Your, your wife can be your idol. Your children can be your idol. I've seen cases, maybe we've all experienced it. Your grandchildren can be your idols. I know people that all they care about is their grandchildren and or their chi- child. And, and, and so... That's all that matters to them. And that's not that's not why God gave you those things. And so he rejects orthodoxy, that is the proper religion. The Lord has already told him that he's going to have the twelve tribes just obey him and, and to worship him alone. But he doesn't trust the Lord to be able to keep 
uh, those tribes. And because God's word is never enough for the idolater. This is always where false religions arise from our hearts because we don't, we don't want to listen to God. We don't like the God of the Bible. And Jeremiah's, Jeroboam's like many politicians where they are religious, but it's only self-serving. So true religion is really not the issue, but, it, but if some sort of religion can help them in their manipulate uh, people, then they're all for it. But that, of course, is, is just idolatry. It's an easy trap for us all to fall in, as we've said. Because, for instance, in this case, uh, security with Jeroboam, and, and it, we all we all can understand the love for security, right? And I don't mean that in a bad way. No one wants to be unsafe. We all want to be safe, feel safe. Uh, as much, certainly as a father, I want my family to be safe, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But it's when security becomes the all-encompassing factor in our life. Because there are times, especially as a Christian, where you might not be safe. Where certain actions will cause you to lose your job. Will cause you to, to be in a situation that you, that, that, where you have to accept that from the Lord. But of course, again, security, uh, has to be looked at from a biblical Point of view. If we are in Christ, as Jesus made it, fear not those who kill the body. See, there's there's a insecurity for your body that is acceptable because your your body's going to die anyway, you know, and we're going to get a new body. So fear not those who can kill the body. Uh, fear fear anything that would attack the soul, because if you lose your soul, you've lost everything, right? So we got to look at security much like a Christian looks at death. There, there's a worldly way to look at those things, and there's a godly way to look at those things. So security can become an idol. In Jeroboam's case, all that mattered was securing his kingdom and his kingship, not his soul. And, of course, he, he pays the ultimate price eventually. <clears throat> and so... Uh, he sets up this new religion, and again, he doesn't call it a new religion. These are the. Doesn't it sound a lot like what we saw in Exodus? These are the gods who brought you up out of Egypt. And he gets two more calves, and he puts one in Dan and one in Beersheba. And so we're still going to worship Yahweh, but we're going to do it in a more convenient, friendlier way. You know, because Yahweh doesn't do things the way I like. And so, because you, you said, well, why didn't you go back and read what happened to those, what Moses did to those uh, golden calves? But, you know, he sets it up because he doesn't care, doesn't believe any of it anyway, probably. He sets up a, a religion of convenience. And he uses the same words in verse 28 that Aaron uses when he made the golden calf. You know, these are the gods that brought you out. This is Yahweh. This is my rendition of Yahweh. And he he uh, can't, can't go up to Jerusalem, of course, so he, he takes some of the high places. Of course, Bethel and Dan had some big high places. That's probably why it wasn't just because one was in the southern part, one was in the northern part. There was convenience there, but they were also established high places, pagan worship places. So it was just convenience. You know, let, let's, just do, let's just worship the Lord. But let's do it in a way that makes us happy. You know, not... 
not the Lord. You know, and this is stuff we see over and over again. And uh, and so, you know, he, no, Satan never. Satan is the angel of light, right? Satan doesn't come up to us and uh, present himself as evil, as Satan. He, he tempts us and makes things sound good. And so by resurrecting these old traditions, he, he seems to be casting some legitimacy over all this. It's not apostasy, he's saying. It, it's diversity. It's inclusiveness. Let's take the best from all these other religions around us, these others' ideas, you know. And it's the same old, same old. But, you know, sinners always have done this. We see it today, but it's not like it hasn't happened before. And so, for instance, the Mormon doesn't knock on your door and immediately start to tell you that Jesus is a result of sexual relationships between Yahweh and Mary, which is what they believe. Now, I was just listening to someone, an expert on Mormonism. Mormonism has moved far, far away from whatever it used to be. There's no doubt about it. But that's not surprising. It's a false religion to start with. But even then they knew you don't, you don't just walk up to somebody who's probably at least nominally a Christian and say, oh, by the way, Jesus is a byproduct of Yahweh and Mary when they had sexual intercourse. Lucifer is his half-brother. Jesus married uh, both uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the sister of Martha and Martha. I don't tell you that because you'd slam the door in their face. They, they, what they do is they rent TV time, urging fathers to spend more time with their children. And, well, that's good. And so all of a sudden your, your, your guard is down and well, you know, isn't religion supposed to make us better people? And that sounds good. Well, no, religion is what this Bible says it is. That, that's religion, what God says it is. So Jeroboam didn't tell the people that, oh, by the way, you're worshiping false gods, but that's okay. And that God's going to eventually destroy us because he's already told me that. No, he doesn't mention any of that, right? And that's what we've got today in a lot of churches. you got a lot of people up there, uh, pastors, preachers, self-proclaimed, self-called preachers, because no false, no tr- call, uh, preacher called by God is going to uh, speak anything other than the word of God. So you've got these false preachers up there. Uh, telling people that God just loves us all and, and doesn't really matter how you live. He's, because God loves, come as, however you are. It's okay. God loves us all. Well, it said, the, the Bible says that unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. God doesn't love your sin. He's, he's, he sent Jesus to redeem us from sin. So he suggests that we're merely worshiping God and some of the old ways that, that, that uh, it's all good. And when Jesus met the Samaritan woman, she was a byproduct of all this. Because remember, the Samaritans had, were a result of the Assyrians taking a lot of the Jews out, bringing a lot of other nations in and letting them all intermingle and kind of ruin the bloodline, as it were. And so she's a Samaritan, and she tells Jesus, well, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say you got to worship God at Jerusalem, eh, you know, we just have a difference of opinion. It's just a theological debate. None of it's important. And that's what a lot of Christians do with the love of God. There's things about, the Bible talks about God that's 
you know, people don't want to hear about the wrath of God. These things are difficult. So we're going to kind of forget about all that and just talk about how, how wonderful God is and how happy he is. And, and, and he just loves everybody. And that doesn't cause anybody to repent. Because if God loves you, why don't you repent of who you are? So they, they think they're worshiping the true God, but they're changing him into something he's not. And if the Bible isn't important enough to study thoroughly, then we don't want to get bogged down in the detail. Let's just worship God. Because, well, we know there's a lot of mistakes in this anyway. They say, well, what are the mistakes? Well, they can't really tell you. They can regurgitate the stuff that's out there, but it's all easily refuted for the most part. <clears throat> but they don't believe it's God's word. It's, it's just Jeroboam. It's idolatry all over again. <clears throat> and so he changes the personnel and the periods of the feast and the place of worship, all the things that Yahweh had carefully stipulated. Because for many, religion is not something given by God, but it's pliable. It's to be massaged and used uh, any way we want to. Now, in case you haven't figured out, I'm being a little sarcastic today when I, when I talk, right? But that's what we hear today. That we, we see this stuff going on today. This is written by men and their experience with their understanding of God. Instead of the inspired word of God that will someday be part of our judgment. And so this is a religion of sheer invention and it's, and it, it doesn't, we, we can't be fooled by it today. If you, if you pass a church and, and it's got a, a woman pastor, or if it's got a sign saying we are affirming church, they, they departed from the Bible. It doesn't mean that we're a perfect church by any stretch, but at least we're, we understand this is God's word and where it, when we under, if we believe what we see in here, we, we try to practice. We don't try to explain it away. Now, our current culture may not be enamored with gold bulls, but it's deep in love with its own religious subjectivism. Whatever my heart tells me to believe, that's what I'm going to believe because I'm, at the end of the day, the true God. And you got people saying that. Man, we are God. But it's going to lead to the same place that the idolaters that we learn about in the word of God. Uh, I read about one woman who was being interviewed. Her name was Sheila. And they said, well, describe your faith to us. And she said, well, I call it Sheilaism. It's just my own little voice. Whatever I... Uh, Whatever my heart tells me to do, that's, that's what I do. That, that's my religion. Well, that's going to send you to hell. Because you're rejecting the one true God. Now, last week, I put this up because it's kind of part of what we were talking about. But here's an example of our culture, American culture. I should say almost the entire world in a lot of ways. But we really, it hasn't reached that point yet. But this is, this is, um, well, there's the quote from John 4. But this is the religion of today. That the culture demands that we bow down and worship this religion. Now, there's a lot of other things out there too, but this is the one that is being pushed upon us today. This is, I think, in a lot of ways, it is the, uh, there have always been market of beasts. There have always been those things that you must do, and if you don't do them, you will be, uh, banished, killed, you won't be able to live among us. That's always been the case for Christians. Here's just one of the latest ones, and this is getting a big one, because 
This is one that's being pushed from the powers that be upon us, upon the world. I just recently uh, saw a video of the CEO of BlackRock, one of the big organizations, the real money, not just of the, in America, but in the world, right? And I think like Vanguard, a few others. And he's being interviewed, and he says, we are in the business not of finances, which is basically what it is. No. We're in the business of making people believe certain things, of making people say certain things. I forget if he said say certain things or uh, believing certain things. But it, it doesn't much matter, right? He, that, that's, that's why, for instance, why Anheuser-Busch just keeps doubling down. Why Target just keeps doubling down. Why don't they, you see on the internet, why don't they just uh, realize what they've done and apologize or move away? Because they can't, because the big, the powers that be, the powers that control the, the finances are telling them, and you say, well, preacher, you're getting political. Well, no, because again, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're talking about the market of beast here, in a sense. Because the powers that be say, you will, believe this lie, you will practice this lie, because it's all about control. And so, you will be, they know they will be ruined. You say, well, they'll go out of business. Well, so what? Because the narrative must be kept. And if you think, well, this is conspiracy theory, you're crazy. They, they admit it. This is not anything that, that, that the, people, they, the people that do this admit it. We've talked about how that communism one of its marks of totalitarianism is that they, they, this is a narrative, this is a lie, and you must admit to it, you must live by it, and if you don't, you are ostracized. You are, you are not allowed to have peace. You can't live in our society. And this is the lie. You say, well, uh, are the CEO of Blackhawk, is he a homosexual, is he a trans? No, that's not the point. This is being used to control. And we're seeing with Christians. Christians, you must uh, you must celebrate this. Uh, Minnesota, or excuse me, Michigan just passed a law where you're if you don't use the right pronouns and other things, you know, you, you know, you're in trouble with the law. You lose everything, perhaps. And so, once they turned, if they ever go digital currency, they've got complete control. And he'd say, Pastor, this is political. I understand that. But what my point is that as Christians, we have got to be able to determine in our own mind that when and if the time comes where we are going to have to make a decision, you will use the right pronoun. You will lie. You must celebrate something. You must celebrate something as good, even though you don't believe it. That you must do it, or you're going to lose your job. You're going to uh, be ostracized. You're going to be made fun of. Uh, whatever the penalty might be, imprisoned, fined. Will we stand up and say yes? The, the word of God is true, and, and and all men are liars. But I will stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because this is just a symptom. Of, uh, this is just an example of what the market of beast is. The market of beast again, whether it's, there's going to be another one, a great, a worldwide one. Again, if, if we have currency, uh, digital currency, they immediately have the ability to make a worldwide market of beast, and in, in, which is 
you must, uh, if your social credit score isn't where it should be, you're in trouble, right? So it, it, it becomes very easy to see this being fulfilled in a worldwide way, whereas before it's always been fulfilled in local things. So those are interesting things to talk about. But I'm more concerned with this understanding what idolatry is, how it works, and just because you're no longer safe, just because you might have to suffer and be humiliated in front of this world, what do you think Christians, when they were being burned at the stake, were they worried about, well, I don't want to be, it's embarrassing. I, I, you know, I, so I've got to do whatever i got to do to stay alive. No, we don't. Because everybody's dying and everybody's going to stand before the Lord. And that's all that matters. So if you lose your cushy job and you lose your nice car and your nice home, yes, people will look at you and say, oh my, you know, what happened to him? That's, that's sad and blah, blah, blah. He wouldn't, you know, well, but are we pleasing the Lord? That's all that matters, right? Well, I've gone on long enough and uh, we'll stop there. Any questions or comments? We don't have a whole lot of time here. but Heavenly Father, we, Lord, pray that you might... Exalt yourself in our eyes and forgive us where we are so mesmerized by this world, so mesmerized by our safety, by what people think, by our flesh, that we, Lord, listen to it more than you. We become little Jeroboams, little Rehoboams. Lord, we don't want to do that. We, We want you to make us faithful, to be strong in the Lord, to be an example to this world. Not that if you're a Christian, you you're, you have everything put together and, and everything's going to work out well for you. But as a Christian, you're going to follow Christ. And you might be abased, but someday we shall be exalted. There's, there's new heavens and a new earth coming. Lord, help us to remember that. And to keep that before us. And not the temporal blessings that come and go, we pray. Lord, we pray that we might love you and live for you as we should. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.